0: Hello, how you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on, we're gonna have a nice old chat. Who's in with this week? I'm gonna tell you right now. the devil are you? It is Thursday, of course it is, it's the Two Shot Podcast and it's episode 103 and this week your Thursday starts right here because we welcome Dermot O'Leary and... uh you may think, well, I certainly do, with presenters, you, you think, oh, well, I, I hope they're like that in real life. Are they putting on that sort of presenter persona? No, not at all. Dermot is the real deal. He's one of the nicest, nicest fellas, and we had a brilliant old chat, which you're going to hear very, very soon. And if you're very good, you may hear Dermot and his fantastic Morrissey impression, which I loved, and I think you're going to love it too. Um, okay, parish notices, I want to say a massive, massive thank you to Everybody who turned out at York Theatre Royal last Friday for JB Barrington and the fantastic Art Malik, um, You're going to hear that next week. You'll hear a few selected snippets from JB's fine, fine poetry at the audience in the palm of his hand. And then we move on. Um, hopefully we'll cut my sort of waffling on and we'll just get straight to the meat of it, which is a f- brilliant conversation with um, Art Malik. Uh, what else have we got to tell you? Oh, okay, there is a few people that have supported us on patreon.com forward slash two shot pod. Go there if you fancy helping us. But if you get your address to us before the end of October, we are gonna do one of those lovely little badge runs and you will be the lucky owner of a limited edition two shot pod enamel badge from our good friends at One Stop Badges. So go check us out there if you wanna help. If not, then please don't worry about it, because what you do, you join the Patreon to help somebody else. It's a, it's a really, really sound affair. If you can't afford this month, maybe you can do it next month, and so on and so forth. And so on and so forth. Right, we better get down to it. Dermot O'Leary, you know him. He's been a presenter of all things for a long time, which we do Talk about. We talk about his star in his when he was a runner, his uh, views on politics, and of course, you'll know him from The X Factor, you'll know him from his Radio 2 show. He's a brilliant broadcaster and he's a fantastic bloke. So he came to join us in our spiritual home at Greek Street in London. Big thanks to Tanya at Maison Bateau for allowing us to record here. Let's get down to it. This is episode 103 of the Two Shot Podcast with the fantastic Dermot O'Leary. I'll see you at the end. Enjoy.
1: Why would you make your own tea when you're here in Soho's premier tea and coffee establishment? Unless the the Two Shot Podcast is sponsored by Thermos. (laughs)
0: It should be. be. There was a time when I was drinking... This certain brand of coconut water. It's quite expensive coconut water. It used to brand. It used to be, old, used to be always in the
1: shops. And like, we should get sponsored by these guys. You know how that, I always freaked out how that stuff just takes... You know, I just... Remember, it's like, Sunkist years ago just took over for about... You couldn't, you couldn't move for Sunkist when you were about 15. It was no, everywhere. Everywhere. like, <laughs> you know, how does that happen? And then it just comes for two years. Can't find that coconut water anymore. It came for a couple of years. Gone. Gone. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs>
0: Why is it too short? Why is it... Right, okay. Well, we came up... When we met in this... Because we'd never met before, right? Yeah. So I was telling Vicky McClure about yeah. this idea. One of God's great people. One of the best. Um, and then she went, oh, Joe Gilgan's just been doing a podcast. Well, um, his agent listened to it, and she went, yeah, you can't put that out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but his mate still wanted to do a podcast. And I said, well, I've had this this idea that, that I think could work. And it was... Gems and I do at the time, when we were filming in Belfast, went for a steak, she said this, got his email, we started talking on the email, We met in Manchester with a list of like 30 names and loads of people and then whittled it down to mm-hmm. the two-shot podcast because when we're filming, if we were filming this now, gotcha. it would be
1: gotcha. a visual two-shot, this is a sonic. Two shots. Just to show where my mind goes, because I was like, do they have two shots? Do they just like, I'll have a shot and you have a shot and then we'll (laughs) We'll do a podcast. It's not not that that. kind of podcast. uh, (laughs) Unless unless you do one with Martin Comston and then you have like a bottle of red wine. Uh, Again, again, one of God's great people, but he is an absolute devil. He is one of the devils, (laughs) one of the premier devils. I've had a couple of great nights, because I got got, got to know him through Soccer Aid. Oh yeah, because he does that most years, doesn't he? The great thing about soccer aid is firstly everyone wants to do it. Mm. And then when um, I don't can't play football to save no, my life. That's stopped a few people to <laughs> be, I've, I've seen, <laughs> <sin>. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and UNICEF, you know, they're incredible. So they get everyone wants to do stuff for UNICEF because they're such a unequivocally a brilliant charity. Mm. And then I've been doing it through UNICEF and ITV for years and i started to like, get a bit more hands-on the last couple of years. So I've started to help produce it and the TV part of it and book people and, you know, just kind of little black book stuff. And uh, so I've got to know Martin for a long, for, uh, like the last six or seven years now and um, he really wants to beat the English. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> brazen. And he's devastated when they don't win. Thank you. And what I love about him, it's, it's, it's sort of a weird Stella Street world colliding. It really uh, is event that because you get thank you because you get um you know they all turn up and they realize you're saying bolts there or whatever and get really wowed by him and then by the end of the first half Compton's coming off good it's not dropping deep enough you're saying this to drop deep enough <laughs> I'm like, you know you're literally ribbing out the fastest man in the world ever oh I mean, you're just right but still but he's a he's and then afterwards he's oh he likes to drink so
0: do you know Gordon Smart, then? Not, yeah, I do, actually. Yeah, Gordon's Does he do a good Because
1: he seen I've not seen Gordon there, but he's cut he's part of that kind of Celtic army. He well. really is, yeah. And they're tight as anything, those yeah. two. And he's, he's a good lad, Gordon. I like him. He's sort of navigated his way around precarious waters in his life, but he's come out the other side. Yeah. And I, I believe him, you know. He's, I like him. I like Gordon.
0: Well, that's the thing about belief, because I was thinking about you and I was thinking about certain... Especially people on radio, and through doing this now for a couple of years, I can hear when people aren't being authentic.
1: It's hard on radio, you know. Tell me more. Well, can I? Thanks for having us. No, <laughs> Cause I was genuine, because I because one of the, I love. I think you've got to be curious being a broadcaster. It's the most important thing. You're allowed to make mistakes, and you're allowed. You know, you don't have to know everything. But if you're not, I had to sort of workshops with a few charities and. And um, and just sort of if I'm sort of asked to invited to, we're sort of young broadcasters and I've a mentor the couple. And the thing that I always say is, just be curious. Like mm-hmm. you can make mistakes and you find out as you go. You're gonna you know you're gonna be a different broadcaster in your twenties than you are in your forties.
0: Yeah.
1: As long as if you ever lose the curiosities, don't stop doing it. Uh, then you have to stop doing it. There's no point. Well, you that is the be, key. Exactly. So I love listening to you because you interview. I like I love, I love actors, specifically actors who wear, who take who take the craft quite seriously, but wear it quite lightly,
0: and take this seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. Exactly. Yeah, and that's how I am in life.
1: And I love my job, and I, I do, you know do my homework uh, diligently. But then, so when I go live, I can have fun, mm. and then I don't have to take you know, Then don't have to take me too but seriously. But that really comes across. I, I think. Uh, so well, I thought you only interviewed actors. So when you no, got, no, when no. I got the call, uh, I was no. I want to. I got a call back. Well, you've always been <laughs> so
0: you've always been really supportive of what we do. And since oh god, I can't remember what episode now. Since we started branching out with sort of poets and you know great musicians yeah. and all sorts of people, I just think well because I'm so curious, which is why I started this of people yeah and what they. Why do. did you start? Sorry,
1: I have this terrible habit of interviewing the interviewer, but then you no, probably no, do no, that no, when you interview no. it. So it's going to happen. So wh- what, where did he...
0: Um, I'm sure I've said this before. I can't remember. Um, I was quite bored of reading certain scripts. Mm-hmm. And I try not to do anything job-wise that... I, tr- I try and do things for the right reasons, yeah. is what I'm saying. I don't want to do something that I'm doing it just to sort of pay the rent or sure. whatever because then it just becomes our job yeah. and therefore I wouldn't be unhappy. But yeah. on the flip side, I feel that I need to be creative yeah. in some way. And I was, was going down the gym a lot and I was listening to all sorts of different podcasts. And this was, you know, two and a half, over two and a half years ago. And uh, I just thought, well... And I love, I love because I'm curious about people, I love interview podcasts. And there was a few that I was listening to that I really enjoyed. But then on the flip side, there was a few that I didn't like. And mm-hmm. I thought, I wonder if I could ma- not make those mistakes and do something better and more honest and more truthful yeah. to what they're doing. But also, n- even though this is quite ironic, not make it about
1: me. <laughs> 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 I well, didn't, you're very good at it. But I didn't want to thank you. Right? But for but, someone that doesn't interview people professionally for a living, hmm. you're very good at interviewing people and you should be doing it well, professionally for a living as well as acting. Well, I feel I've just, I've just, I've just, I've lo- just, I've really learned on the job
0: yeah. over the last two and a half years because I can hear, like, especially on radio, I can hear if things are scripted. That's what I admire about you. I never, even if it is, it doesn't sound it's quite like a
1: stream of consciousness, and and I therefore, because I've got colleagues and friends of mine, every because you don't really, you don't really observe other people doing radio. Mm. Every now and again, you might pop into a studio, but you don't really. You're never there, really there on the coalface. And I walk in and some of them are so well prepared. And I'm always well prepared. I've always written my interviews, don't get me wrong, and I've, I've picked my music and stuff. But the beauty of radio for me is you can turn it on a sixpence so you can be on air and then suddenly start talking about something. Danny Baker's the master of this. You can suddenly mm-hmm. start talking about something before you know it. You've gone, on, you've spiralled and you've gone on a tangent and the listeners are going with you there and then. And that's what's so beautiful about it. I love radio for that. Yeah, I love it for that. Um, so therefore, I never, you know, I've got a framework as to what I want to talk about. But if an interesting text or an email or a tweet or something comes in, then suddenly that's a discussion point. Or if someone, more often than not, actually, if someone you're interviewing raises something and and it and it has common ground with people, and they start getting in touch, and so before you know it, your show's been hijacked by, you know.
0: But I love that. But that's really exciting. That's that's why I love this. <laughs> yeah, because even though there's certain things I know that I want to try and discuss, I don't want to lead the conversation too much. Yeah. It, would, it would be like someone coming in to be on this and have a, a, a set story about what they wanted. Sure. I don't want that no, it's no, all no, about sure. an organic conversation. If we go off-road and if we go that way, all yeah. right, it's fine. If we yeah. jump the time frame, absolutely fine. That's what I love about yeah, that and we've good. got no restrictions.
1: So Radio 2 were great like that. So I started there a long time ago. And I had to, I was sort of, I guess, what was it, 15 years? I must have been to the early 30s when I started. So I was still kind of Radio 1 territory just about. And I had chats with Radio 1 and Radio 2. I used to do XFM years ago back in the day. Uh, and I first started out, when I was a runner, I was also doing work experience for BBC Essex. Right. a sports show on a Saturday. So I used to, I was a runner for a documentary company in London after I graduated from university, studied politics um, and media. Went around America, my last student loan. It's so funny, isn't it? You feel so sorry for those kids now. I remember going around America going, how am I ever going to pay that £1,000 back? <laughs> I'm never going to pay that back. Where yeah. are you going to get that from? <laughs> yeah, and now? I know, and now look at them. Why politics? Why did you? Loved it. Did Just you? Yeah. With, yeah, so big Irish, not, actually not big Irish family, big Irish extended family, but, but only four of us. Born over here. My parents came over late 60s. They're both from Ireland, your parents? Yeah, both yeah. from the same town, Wexford town in the southeast. Go on the yellow bellies. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and my father's family in particular were very uh, political with a small p and read a lot. So my, I used to come in and my dad would be uh, eating cereals, teetotal, my dad. And um, so he'd never drink in the evening or anything. But he'd, he'd always just be decimating cereal or ice cream or something over the over the old, bro- a couple of old broadsheets and always yeah. get a broad- but just uh, engrossed in it. And it, I mean, always, I never understood that no politics or religion around the dinner table because that was the, that was the antithesis of what our family was like. Right. And I, I always think, well, when else are you going to talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> the dinner table's the best time to talk about Absolutely, it. Absolutely, that's where you have a debate. As long as you don't take it home with you. you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so we, so we always talk politics and we always talk religion and we, so it was always a, a, and my parents were very kind of, uh, I wouldn't call them liberal Catholics. They're questioning Catholics, which is a you know, I guess it's kind of the same thing. And um, and they instilled that in us, both in our both me and my sister are you know both still Catholic and we're both very engaged politically with a small P. So we always had those kind of conversations, and um, and so I've always had a history, really interested in history and politics, and so that's what I studied, and then finished university went around America on my own. I got, I got into a habit when I was 18, 19 and just going away in the summer on my own. Largely because a lot of my mates were stoners. So by the time, um, I'd sort of finished saving up my money. They'd just been smoking all summer and I go, Hey, it's time to go. And they'd been,
0: no, not we're, of, uh, not yeah. big,
1: oh, oh, okay. Um, you have no choice to go by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I ended up just going away a lot on my own. And which I which actually was actually quite, cause I'm a very social creature, but that's actually quite a, quite a sort of formative thing, I suppose. And and something I really enjoyed and I got back from university, and I st- moved back in with my mum and dad for a little while, just just outside of London, Colchester, where sort of my dad kind of, in that kind of generational way, just by accident, he mm. settled there. And um, is that where you were born though? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's weird. I sort of, it's a weird place, uh, that kind of accident of birth, kind of hometown, because it's not. I don't feel any generational pull to it because. I've always called three places home. Really, there, here, London. I lived half my life, and we spent every second weekend here when I was a kid, with, mm. specifically with the London Irish community in Northwest London, where my auntie lived. And we had a lot of family Kil- friends. Kilburn, way. Kilburn Queens yeah. Park, and yeah. Crickwood. and then so it was a very weird upbringing because on on the face of it, certainly in primary school, secondary school was Catholic, so it was a little bit more. Uh, not ghetto but it was a little bit... Because that would, that would do it a terrible <laughs> disservice. It was just a Catholic secondary school in a relatively nice provincial town. So certainly. But I mean, in terms of the kids you, you were mixing with had similar experiences to you. A yeah. lot of them were second-generation something. Um, but you'd have this kind of normal provincial small-town upbringing, and then you'd shut the door, and you may as well be back in Ireland, you know, the Pope, the crucifix, yeah. the music, the... And then we... Uh, so we spent every second week, my dad played hurling to a very high standard. We used to play for Wexford and then he played up here in Northwest London. So he would, we'd always be up here. And, um, and that had a sort of huge impact on me, kind of growing up. And, um, and then Wexford back home, which I've, I always sort of say, describe myself, I'm like, I'm Irish, but I'm not from Ireland, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, and so um, I always thought I was called three places home. So you're always very connected to Ireland still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go, I mean, classic, what they would call plastic paddy upbringing. And then I, I went back for endless summers. And, mm. and then I used to go back 15, 16 and just see my family a lot. I really enjoyed that during the summer. And, um, and I, I suppose that's, when you're in, especially when you're in the teenage years, you're connecting with that identity. You're, tr- you're trying to find that identity, aren't you? And, um, well, look, you're just constantly trying to learn who, exactly. who you are, Yeah, aren't you? yeah. And what you relate to, and, and what was, was the what was the plan at university? What, what was the what did you want the outcome to be? Before I went to uni, I went to uni because I could go to uni. I, on paper, really, I shouldn't have gone to university. I was of a generation that could, therefore, they did. Right. But now I'm not sure. I don't know. I might go and study politics now, and I'd love to go back and do an MA in something, maybe history, but. Um, but back then, when I was at school I wanted to be an actor, all the way up to about... Did you really? 15, 16. And then about halfway through my drama GCSE, I realised the more I rehearsed, the worse I got. And <laughs> <laughs> I had a little word in myself. Because you sort of know yourself, uh, roughly. Yeah, you know, if you're much. honest with yourself.
0: But then again, I, I know some actors that aren't honest with <laughs> themselves. And they're, they're, they're
1: still cracking on And I went... This isn't for you, is it, mate? Like, you shouldn't. Be, you should be getting better the more you rehearse. But there was something about being in front of people I really liked. What was it? There's a great. um I don't know if you read Springsteen's book, but there's this I haven't yet. It's no. no. wonderful, I'm, and uh, I'm a huge fan. And and like he's the rock star for me, and. uh we went to go and see him on Broadway and there's this great section in the book where he's like seven, eight and he gets his guitar and he sucks and he hasn't got the patience for it. And they can only rent it from the local store and then his mum has to go and give it back. He says he puts on this, lo- he puts on this concert uh, to like the neighbourhood, six or seven neighbourhood kids and he, like he, said, he, you know, he posed, he strutted, he did everything but play it and, you know, and he was awful and he sucked and he had to give the guitar back. He said, but just for a moment there, just for a moment... I smell blood. <laughs> and you're like, ah, God. and then he gets it, get, like, goes ah. into growing up, and like, it's amazing. Um, but it was similar. I was there, you know, I remember just being doing my drama, GCSE, and just for a couple of moments, I went, there's something here that I love, but I know it's not acting. It's not, it's something, but it's not Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. And then I started, compa- we compared, me and my mate Joe Griffin put together a, a live aid show, because I we went to a very, once again, I wouldn't call it liberal, but a very progressive Catholic school. So most people left with about two GCSEs. Yeah. But you knew exactly what the solidarity movement was in <laughs> <laughs> So everyone was a member of Amnesty. It was, you know, we had this incredibly left field and quite kind of my captain, my captain style teacher called Bob Hasty, who died really young. And we all, I remember we, all, I think we were at university. We all, everyone came back for his funeral and he was... You know, they named a wing of the school after him, and mm. he was the real firebrand. You've got a question. You've got to just open your mind. and There's you know, always one, is It's wonderful, there. isn't it? Yeah. And um, so I knew I wanted to do something like that. And then I sort of, uh, when I got back from traveling, I, I turned out 300 letters, and I got, I've kept every rejection, which does tend to... I throw up a lot of questions. We'll Done that or not? I don't know. I say that like it's a badge of honour, but every, every time the more I say it, just the weirder it makes me sound. So, um, and I got a couple of runners' jobs offers, and I, I took one at this documentary company, and then here in London, yeah. yeah. A company called Barrowclough Carey, which was started by a guy, a lovely guy called George Carey and Jenny Barrowclough, and they, they were kind of BBC News people who started out on their own, and they, and so I was a runner there. 90, late 90s, 90, no, 95, 96, something like that. And um, I was there for two years, and I was brilliant. I just I just did the sort of like... I was the office runner, but I'd get rented out to all the different productions. So one day you'd be recycling paper, and the next day you'd be... Um, I used to work on a show called Moving Pictures, which is this old cinema show presented yeah. by a guy called Harold Howard, Howard Schumann, back in the day, old writer. And... Um, I mean, there's a lovely guy called Phil Kerr who directed it. And so we used to go and do the night shoots in London. So it was when Harry Potter first came out. So we'd be at Leadnall Market, and he'd be, he'd be putting these beautiful jib shots up. And he'd get, me and the, the other guy called Ed, he'd go, damn, damn, go and give you a freezing bucket of water and go, just go and shine them cobbles up just to make them look beautiful for the shots. And you'd be there going to that. He was a lovely guy, really inspirational guy, really. So I fell in love with telly yeah. straight away. I knew it was the industry for me. And, um, and about six months in, I said, what do you want to do? And and it's that awful thing where you just sort of, you go, I I, I sort of want to, I wouldn't mind giving hosting a go. Uh, But of course it's a, it's a, it's a Mirage job because you're not, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. Yeah. You're not, it's not like you're a resting actor Mm. where you've trained for it. You train on the job. So, um, so I suppose you've got to be really careful as to how you say you want to go about doing it because it's, 'Cause you sound a bit of an ob. <laughs> yeah. Do <laughs> you know?
0: And also it's a very specific sort of skill. Yeah. To be well, d- I always to wanted art. to do
1: both. So I never wanted to just give up working in telly and researching, writing, producing. I always wanted to have a little foot, foot in both camps. Yeah. So I wanted to learn my trade, but also be in front of camera. That was always that's still really important to me now. So um there was a guy called Freddie Nottage. he was film research, film researcher and um, Freddie Notte, Yeah, Freddie Notte. Good, Good man Freddie. Remember Freddie was brilliant. He was he used to come up to me. If you saw, saw me drinking a can of Coke, be twenty-three years old, he'd go, Wasted calories. <laughs> oh, I didn't know, know wasted calories at 23, I'm just I'm 23, I'm <laughs> having a can of coke. And um and Freddie told me about a screen test that another show he worked on, a production company were doing across town and sent a mug shop that my mate Matt did for me in my flat in in Queen's Park and uh C V and I went. And got it. And then I went back to do another screen test and they sort of callbacks and I go, yeah. And so I ended up doing this pilot. While I was a runner, I ended up doing this pilot for Channel Four called Seaside Special. It's a terrible show. Um, to replace the word, I think it was. And nothing came of it. We did two pilots. But I got a showreel. I got my agent, that same agent I'm with now. Right. Out of it. And that sort of set me on the way then. So then then I sort of had a, a foothold where I had something tangible I could yeah. go in and go. And I remember the first ever shot I did on the first ever pilot it was this jib shot, and it came, came around, I was shitting myself. And I said something, and, it, and uh, the camera, they, they sort of aborted an aborted like, camera move, and so the camera moved, and I said something, it made the audience laugh, and that was it. I just thought, I'm in, I mean, this is what I want to do. I'm absolutely in, it was an outtake, but I just felt suddenly relaxed, and then I just I ran with it, and I absolutely love that pilot.
0: Got it. Was obviously just was a like that moment. moment at school when you went, "Yeah, this isn't mm. for me." Oh no, this
1: this, this is. is for me. So yeah. it's great when that penny drops. Yeah. That moment. So then I went and oh, I said, "Well, how can I make this work?" So I sort of did these two pilots. I was in and out of work for a bit, and I had these really odd uh, few summers where I would apply for a job as a researcher, mm. go in for an interview for a job as a researcher, and then a week later, I'd be in there because my agent had sent my show in, so they'd, they'd sort of meet me and go, we interviewed last week for another job. Oh, yeah, I'm here for someone else <laughs> exactly. now. <I'm> exactly, for- <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I, sort of, I, I did that for a while, and then I got a job on light lunch, remember with Mel and Sue? I do. And what were you doing there? I was, was- a re- I was a researcher, and I ended up being a warm-up guy. Did you? I ended up doing their warm-up, yeah, for about two years. And they were so good to me. It was in the South Bank, Princess Productions, one woman called Henrietta Conrad ran it. And they were, they, when I first started, I said, look, I really, I'm really, i trying to break into the game. And they said, look, as long as you get your work done, you can go off and do auditions. So I used to finish on, like, lunch. Mm. I worked out that it was quicker for me to run into town from the South Bank. So I used to run over Hungerford Bridge, you know, uh, by Blackfriars, by Waterloo, run into town, so do an, do an interview or screen test, probably get an no run back really quickly and then <laughs> back at my desk for like two admin at two or three in the afternoon. Three, per, but you know what? Job. Really special times. Yeah. But also so supportive of you yeah. that you could do that. And you know, I've got two or three groups of mates that I've had in telly and I'm sure you're the same. I think you, you get those golden periods where everyone goes through the same. I say, I say it to my researchers on the X Factor. I say, look, appreciate the moment you're living through now because these people you're working with, your other researchers, they're going to be your mates for life because yeah. you have those special moments. And T4 was one, and Light Lunch was another. So the guys I used to work with on Light Lunch that I'm still really, really tight with, Drew, my, my buddy Drew went on to write Iron Man 3 and go over to America. Right. So he's over there now as a writer and director. He's just finished Hotel Artemis and Hobson Shaw. Jamie Glazebrook is one of the showrunners on Peakies. I know Jamie Glazebrook. Yeah, he's a lovely man. Uh, my friend Ilya Kilokantic, now he, he sort of, he just started working in Comic Relief. And mate Ollie Brack is a sort of big co- uh, uh, comedy producer, and those are the guys. Still see those guys all the time. Yeah. Similarly, my friends on T4—they've all gone and done different things, and they're, they're, but they're the mates I see every couple of weeks for a drink or dinner.
0: But you also need those people when you're coming up, sort of through the ranks, and you're learning that to get that support from. I mean, such a formative time, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. But you did you always have that? Do you know your? I don't want to say your style, but. You, what I, re- is your, what I really admire about you is your natural... It seems very, very natural and unforced, even when you're on radio, and especially when you're on the telly as yeah. well. Was that something that you learned, or was it... You know, sometimes actors can... When you're learning, we all tend to just go a bit big and overact. And sure. You can hear that with certain people on yeah. radio and when you see people hosting on I the telly. It's,
1: it's nature nurture. I think it's nature-nurture. I I think you've either got... I'm not saying I've got it, but I think you've either, you either feel comfortable in that circumstance or you don't. It's quite exposing, it must Hugely. be. Hugely. Radio especially. Because there's no new, like, like, TV, you can you can say a lot with your eyes or your body or, you know, radio. You find out who, you find out who you are and the listeners find out who you are. And they're going to know quick. Really quickly. Yeah. Um, and if you're not comfortable in your own skin and you're not, confident with who you are. Because you can't pretend to be anyone else at rate. You can't worry. And by that I don't mean going on um putting on a persona. I more mean worrying about placating off pleasing everyone. Because it's never gonna happen. Because some people are gonna like your voice and some people are not going to like your voice. Some people are going to like your personality and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that quite early because you know I'm a I'm a worrier and I want you want you're not in this industry if you don't want people to like you. So, but you've got to get your head around the fact quite quickly that not everyone's going to. No. Um, So part of it is just you being you, and part of it then is learning the skill set to don't force it, uh, listen as much as talk, brevity, especially on radio is kind of key. So when I started the radio too, to bring us up to date with our chat, so I did some stuff for XFM, and that was kind of, Fun, but, but XFM by then had been taken over by Capital, so I was it's doing a three and a half hour show, and, I, and it got to the point where I was playing some songs twice in the same I <laughs> couldn't say. pick any of the songs. You so mean, said, because it's all playlists, all playlists. So I went to Radio Two, Radio One, and, and Radio... XFM
0: at that time, especially and when it was taken over, it's a predominantly it's a music
1: exactly, yeah. So it's not about
0: of... talking. It's a no. It's about filling between
1: songs. Really, yeah, I, actually, that, that it was a kind of exciting time to be there because Christian O'Connor was there. Cole Pilkington had started, and Carl was my producer as well. So was it? We yeah, we used to go. I mean, in name, I mean, Carl actually is a very good radio producer. Yeah, uh would come in and go, "All right, that wasn't, that wasn't shit, was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah." And we just we'd sit there and just do impressions of other DJs for three hours. <laughs> he was brilliant. Uh, and then, if you needed a brew, you'd put on something really long, like Riders in the Storm for eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you'd just go outside. And, um, because no one was there on the weekend. It was great. And then um, and Ricky was after us. So we had, it was a really good alumni, to be fair. Uh, and they were kind of left you alone. It was just that more, it wasn't like magic or anything, FM. You know, it was, it was, you were allowed to be you, but it was more you couldn't mess with the song. So when I started a radio too, they were like, play what you want. And that was oh, really? the, and That's why I'm still there. I love it. They're so trusting for that. So that you make your own playlist. In the the afternoon, we used to play three hours of anything we wanted. Now I've moved to breakfast. They were very polite, and they went, "Would you mind playing Playlist?" But then I said, "So I make the show. I've got a small company. We make the show. So the two guys I work with go to Playlist once a week. We put stuff on Playlist. And actually, also you trust the radio. Two Playlists is pretty good. Mm. So in the in the time we've been doing the. Breakfast show, we haven't played anything we've not wanted to play. And also you can pick and choose. There's like 30-odd songs in the playlist. So it's not like you, you go, you have to play this like high-octane pop song. You can go, oh, I'll, you know, I'll play that. So you kind of make,
0: you make your own playlist yeah. up from, from, from the, play- the well, playlist. And there's
1: only two songs I think we play, a, a show or a couple of hours. And then the rest of it we just do ourselves. And does that still happen
0: when you have a deputy, when, you, when you're not there? I think so. Because I've noticed
1: the music choice isn't as good when well, you're not there. that's very good. Yeah. That's well, le- I try and do it. That's feedback right there. Thank you. I'm happy <laughs> with that. On a Friday, I'll sort of take half the day and just get my notes and prep my interview. And then it, and then it's just, right, what do I want to play tomorrow? And then my poor producer, I'd normally send him that about six o'clock in the evening. It's like, fine. I'll rewrite the script. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember first when I first started there, it was, this is like back in the day, Uh 2004, five, something like that. Was this when you were doing afternoon stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. First show I got was an afternoon show. And I went to, uh, I must have started near Christmas time because they had this big Christmas dinner at the Criterion. It was all these kind of legends everywhere. Um, David Jacobs. And I met David Jacobs and I said, um, so, so nice to meet you. And he went, oh, my dear boy, how old are you? And I said, <laughs> and I went, I'm 32. And he went, 32? I believe I was. It was my first wife then. It? <laughs> it and then I sat next to Terry Wogan and Terry was always a big hero of mine. And, you know, yeah. I got to know him well in the end. I know, his son know, his son's a good mate. And um, and he's very sweet, Terry. Oh, he's a new boy. And we sat down and, he went, and we just talked about Irish rugby, which we both loved for about an hour. And then at the end I went, went to go and he went, or he went to leave, I think. And he said, listen, I'm not going to give you too much advice, but there's only one thing I'd say is never be afraid of the silence. I mean, what oh. a line, what a line. I took it and I was like, what? You can't give me some more, I know, Terry. <laughs> Look my at that. God, that's gold. Give me some of that honey gold. Wow. Never be afraid of the silence. And it's such a, he's, I mean, they called the place after him. What used to be called Western House. is called no, Wogan, Wogan House, House yeah. You must have been there. I've been there. And he, he's just imbued in the whole, the fabric of the place, you know. And everyone's got a Terry story. You know, Jeremy Vine tells a great story. You got in the lift coming for a show to start prepping three or four hours before and she's like terry's in the lift with Terry. He's looking at terry going are you not on air and he's like oh it's fine don't worry and just literally just watches him get out of the lift walk around walk into his studio sit down fade up the mic and just go ah everyone how are oh, you <laughs> i mean unbelievable absolute legend i mean those masters of their craft yeah you know. they may, well, they make it sound very, very easy. Radio and television. Terry, Jonathan Ross, when he... I mean, I remember watching Jonathan when I was 15 years old and watched The Last Resort mm. on a TV, on a stool. You know, he used to, you know, if you had that port, you had the TV, you used to, <laughs> yeah. the big old block of a TV. Yeah,
0: with the handle on the yeah, top. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: You, you, you know, if you were lucky, you had one TV in the living room and then the other one was just went mobile. So if you sit, if my sister had it, forget it. It was done. It was up in her room. My mum would have it in the ironing room or in the kitchen. My dad didn't really care. Um, too busy eating cereal yeah. in the paper. And, um, <laughs> I remember when I was about 14, 15, one of the reasons why I love cooking is my mum went back to work about 14. And she went, and she just taught us how to cook. And, um, so me and my sister loved it. So we, we sort of started cooking. Mm. I think it was at 14, 15. Um, like, with my mum, she wasn't, like, an errant mother or anything. <laughs> I'll leave you to it. We're back in a bit. <laughs> and, um, and so we'd start to watch TV as we cooked. And I remember the first time I ever saw The Last Resort. And, I was, and that's when I sort of fell in love with telly. I'm sort of watching this guy going, who is this guy? He's like a punk, like, coming in and, and it, like... And also, at that point, he never really said anything like, like Last it. Resort. Nothing like And it was... I always think it's really important attribute your listener and your viewer with, a, with intelligence and if they don't know something you're talking about don't over explain it let them go away and look it up um, and Jonathan did that he was brilliant so it's so Jonathan I, in one respect we'll put a link up to the last resort on YouTube uh, me, yeah <laughs> you have to Jonathan one hand and then when I was younger the only day we were allowed to watch telly um, while we were having our dinner was Saturday night so we used, my mum used to make a sort of picnic when she got in from working at BHS uh, and my poor dad would have struggled through and made us lunch or something mm. like which is normally something like cod row and chips they'd literally go and buy some cod row from the fishmongers and yeah. fry it up with dad's <laughs> chips and then you and dad's thinking chips thinking my mum would thinking my mum wouldn't uh, wouldn't smell it she could smell it at the end of the street yeah, of you're frying fish eggs <laughs> you do know what this is <laughs> and um, but with the yeah the one meal we were allowed to have in front of the telly was uh, Saturday night and we used to have a little picnic and, whatnot, and we'd watch Saturday Night TV. So, mm. so when I got to do Saturday Night Telly, that was all. The th- first thing I thought I, I, I sort of threw back to was me watching Larry Grayson on The Generation Game. Wow. And I loved Larry Grayson.
0: Yeah. And he was a master. Talk about making it look easy. Absolutely. and Coming here and having a load of fun. Yeah. My God. He was
1: interesting. I didn't know too much about him and I sort of looked into him recently. Mm. He was 47 when he got his break. Was he? he? Yeah, he supported Danny LaRue. Danny LaRue was nailing it and he was so busy. He was getting exhausted. And so LaRue's manager or concert promoter or whatnot said, got to take some time off. I need someone to cover your, I don't know, maybe the Palladium gigs or something at um, Sunday night or whatever it was at yeah. the time. Anyway, I tell you who we should do it is, is this guy, this kind of, this guy, I think he was from Nuneaton, this guy, this Midland this Midlander. And Larry was just doing these working men's clubs up north and got the call and he never looked back. It was only 47, though. I mean, that wouldn't happen now, would it? No way. No way. Um, and he used to have... Because you remember how he, used to, he mastered that look off camera, didn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. And with the guests as well, he was always... Yeah. There was a little bit of acid coming Set down here,
1: you'd just shave your dog, and then it would be literally a look to camera <laughs> the three. Like, with the With the glasses and the chain. Such like a nice boy. He was so funny. And he was... Um, he, uh, uh, what, there was this documentary about him that I saw recently, in not he? Uh, his mum had the only phone in the street, so all these women would come and use her phone for a shilling or whatever, mm. and they'd come and give her, and they'd sit there and they'd be ringing their sisters somewhere else in the country. So he'd hear these matriarchs giving stories about, and he'd be sat there on the stairs listening to these one-way conversations, and he said that's where he got all these characters. Remember oh. Everard, one of his... Uh, wow. What wow. like Alice? And that's where he got all these stories from. It's wonderful, isn't
0: it? When I was... Growing up, I used to work in a news agent. I might have told the story before, but it's kind of linked on on this. It was Blackpool. Talking about. Uh, it was just outside of Blackpool. It was, it was in St Anne's. And I used to work in a news agent on a Saturday and a Sunday morning, and every Saturday and Sunday morning, Les Dawson used to come in. And buys cigars from me with his little pencil thin moustache and his sort of golfing hat. It was quite you know quite golfy attire. Yes. You know, a lot of velour tracksuits suits yeah. were knocking about. And uh, I used to. That was the first time I was starstruck because I was, of course, watching him at work. Talk about you know we're talking about people with ease and finesse yeah. and skill and making it look easy. I yeah. mean, he was another one up yeah. there.
1: Also, kind of great. He was quite graceful for a big guy as well, wasn't he? It always yeah. felt like he. He never lumbered, Dawson, did he? That generation of comics. But you see, you wouldn't see that on telly nowadays. That's a good question. I don't know. I think we've got a very good... I think we've got a very good culture here of giving people a shot on... I, don't, where I, where I, I think there aren't any nursery slopes anymore. That's the saddest thing. In what way? What do you mean? Well, when I first started out on T4, you sort of, you know, you make your mistakes in plain sight almost and no one bats an island because you're on a Sunday morning TV show. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that was a really exciting time. Yeah. We started Andy Peters. They brought Andy Peters in to be how I got started was, and it was Andy Peters came. He was, and everyone sort of looks at Andy as like Ed the duck or the guy that gives away money on GMB now. But Andy's a brilliant TV producer and a really good commissioning editor. And I don't think he can be asked with it anymore, which is a real shame because he was really good at his job. And he, um, Channel 4 brought him in to start T4. I, he came, I think he was on like lunch. He saw me do warm-up and he said, look, I had a cup of coffee a couple of weeks later and he said, um, I can't give you a job mm. but I said I can put you up for screen tests because I think you've got something. So I then went up for these, start going, going for these screen tests and then I ended up getting a couple of jobs and off the back of that I ended up getting T4 off the back of it. And remember my first ever live TV. It was, we had Cleopatra. Coming at you. Beth Orton who's was terrified of speaking live and a really dicey interview with, uh, with, uh, queer as folk. So, that, so they're literally just throwing me this absolute curve. There you go. Deal with that. Yeah, <laughs> just go in on a Sunday morning. Um, brilliant. It was Craig Kelly, Charlie, Horman, and Aidan Gillam. Gillam. Yeah. And they were lovely. Brilliant guys. So that was my first. That was my first. Uh, How did you? F- I and mean, you remember Queers Folk at the time it was like no one. We haven't really seen anything like this on television. No, before. Oh, I mean
0: that was. So I, I was talking to Mark Strong not long ago about landmark television. Yeah, you know, our friends in the North being yeah, one of them. Absolutely. Everybody would look at Queer as Folk as that. That would be yeah on that list without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah,
1: so well, also the, talk- the day that the day after it went out, I think Aidan. That there was this quite graphic scene, wasn't it, between Aiden and Charlie, and there'd never been anything like that on telly before. I mean, that was my first live interview <laughs> with a lawyer like this.
0: Right. In the
1: background going, don't mess up here, buddy. And I, how did you feel before I, that? Terrified. Because... I was so terrified. The first six months of live telly, I, was, I almost feel like I, I think I probably did throw up a few times before, and I almost felt, so every, every week I felt like I was going to throw up. And then something, I, it, there wasn't a moment, I just, you just get used to it. And suddenly I was like, hang on a second, I'm enjoying this. I was going to say,
0: was there a point where you went,
1: I'm enjoying it? I don't think so. I just, I, I think pretty quickly I realised I was enjoying it. But it was just the technicality of it all. Uh, making sure you're coming out on time. Mm. And we had no water cues, so you need to learn all these links. And Oh, there was no water cues? No, none. So we just... I didn't use water cue for the first... I used to hate it for the first seven, eight years, I think, of, of working on telly. And then you realise, hang on a second, it's a good safety blanket. But even now... So I write with Ivor Badil, who's David's brother. Right. For Telly. And Ivor's a lovely, really good TV writer, Ivor. And, and I, I, I started out on live. With Ivor's first writing job was on, like, lunch. Was so, it? Yeah, so me and Ivor. It's have going back still exactly. one of those old yeah. friends
0: that you're still together So now with. we
1: sort of, everything, we write really well together. And so Ivor will do a first draft, send it over to me. or We'll meet up for, you know, an afternoon, mm. bash it out so it's in my words. I'll sort of rewrite bits and pieces. And then that sort of, so, so for, you know, I mean, not, I'm not rewriting really the wheel here, or you know, writing a great classic, but you still want your work to be good. Yeah, of course. So I'm, and then I'll just go and rehearse it, and I'll sort of, so I'll know it. So if the autocue goes down, at least I know where I'm going. And Andy was always brilliant for that. Andy Peters, he was always he always just said, "Look, just know," he said, "No, you start your middly beginning, and, and that we just know we know where you're going out because if you you know where where your that piece of television is finished, it's whether you're going to the break or you or you're checking, or know how long you've got." Then you can let the madness kind of happen. That's, yeah. what, that's what you want on yeah. live telly, and that's what's exciting, probably. Exactly. And I lo- oh my god, the first time I did live was just brilliant. brilliant. I loved it. That's when I, that's when I knew, really, because you don't really know until you do these things, do you? Well, no, you think you can. You think you, you can. You, I, knew I wanted to work in telly. I was really enjoying it, but but the first time I did live, that started a love affair with it that endured for me. Probably a one-way love affair. It's endured for me fourteen, thirteen, fifteen years. Wow.
0: Like. Does the, radio, the love
1: of radio ever overtake the love of television? No, the love of live, I think, is the most important thing. Across both media. Across both media, right. The only thing about live is you'd ever, you can't do this, which is why I've started doing pods, because you, 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 it's the only way you can properly immerse yourself in a conversation, because mm. you've always got time constraints, and you're always... Always. Um, and that's the, that's the shame, is that is the, that pace of television doesn't seem to get commissioned anymore the likes of the parky mm. and to a degree the wogan where it's just a chat and the host is listening as much as he is or he he or she is talking and i think that's a that's a shame and i'd love to see that i know that's kind of flying in the face of where tv and broadcasting is in that we want everything bite sized but the problem with that is there's no room for nuance and there's no room for um storytelling
0: and also and I think that's one of the
1: reasons why pods are so popular storytelling yeah also really getting to know somebody in a
0: certain amount of time it's um, sometimes after over a hundred episodes it's like am I repeating myself eh?" (laughs) (laughs) so hey it's like where am I Um, but sometimes we get asked for certain people to come on and you know I don't want you coming on really selling your film because there's other people there's other places for that and that's all well and good I know people have to do that and then um, there was... You can beep this out, Griff. Someone asked to come on, and I'm a really big fan of Beep that again. <laughs> and um, they said, we can give you 20 minutes. I went... No point in this name. No use to me. That's, you know, it's that surface-level chat. And I'm not saying you get that all the time, but you, it's on certain chat shows on telly, it's come on, do a little anecdote. Mm. What, what time times you show on? Mm. yeah with radio you get a bit more i think but still you are under time constraints yeah. aren't you
1: i mean i think part of part of the job is is to work that to your advantage so you can get little nuggets and you can you're trying to find lightning in a bottle moments mm. in, in the in the constraint you've got radio for example i know i've got half an hour with people whereas i used to have this wonderful luxuriant kind of hour with them I could really they'd pick a few songs and we'd have a lovely chat in the middle of, oh that's middle of, great like, oh, great it was a lovely show the afternoon show but I'm glad I've moved to the morning because it's I did that show for a long time and actually it's a, just a different discipline in the morning as well it's kind it's of a different l- style yeah different style of I show, mean it's yeah. a Saturday breakfast show so it's always going to be a little bit more relaxed than the morning Monday to Friday show that Zoe does so brilliantly and you know I quite like being a little bit more Let's take a beat here. You, you know, you're just waking up on a Saturday. Yeah. No one needs to be dragged out of bed. Let's just play some nice tunes, and as you get up and put the coffee on, that's fine. Um, <sighs> but um, but you're but it's still so we've got about a half an hour. So when you get someone on, you want to have a nice, you know, decent natter and a nice. But chat. that is a that is a good amount of time for track, radio. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I know. Keevney has, on six, he has a little bit longer than, than a lot of people. Mm. And I think Lauren does as well. Yeah. Six music is a little bit more relaxed, I think. Mm.
1: Nice channel. It is. It is but really nice. But we're sister stations with them, so two and six will go together. But you're in the, sa- you're in the same building, aren't you? Yeah, you yeah. say we're one extra. There's a little bit of cross-pollination there, which is nice, in the same way that one will be one extra and blah, blah, blah. Did you want to move from the afternoon they may be enough or I couldn't refuse. They <laughs> I don't mean monetarily. They just went, you moving. <laughs> <laughs> you have no control. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they asked me, so we make my show, and they said, look, we really want you to make, to, we really want to launch a breakfast show. And I wasn't sure to start with, if I'm honest with you. Why? Because I really like my show. Yeah. In the afternoon. um." And then they said, "So I still—I didn't say no, but they just went, they kind of just said, look, we really, take one for the team. We really want you to do this. Um, And you can still carry on making your show in the, in the afternoon. We'll just get someone else to host it. And it'll be a completely different show, but, mm. but your guys can still carry on making it. And that was kind of what swung it for me, really. Uh, Does that so, still happen now? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, so we made Zoe, we made Zoe. Um, and now we make Ryland show on a Saturday afternoon and we do a few podcasts. We do Simon Mayo's book podcast, which is a great podcast. Um, and um, make, you know, make some bits and pieces. So I've started doing the show for the Beeb called Real Stories, which we've, we've done. We're doing them specials for BBC Two and the iPlayer and BBC Music Commission it. Yeah. So the idea is you get someone who's had a career of about 20, 20 or so years. So it's got, you've got to get someone with some substance and then... You have a cinema so You can get this on that I play. We've done one with Kylie and one with Noel.
0: Uh, oh, I again. saw the one with Noel. Yeah, it was brilliant.
1: And then yeah, you, play, brilliant. you play 10 clips. They mm. don't see beforehand. Oh, yeah. Which is the key thing. It's as soon as the... the um, so we've we, similar situation. We've had some, we've had some great people offered, us to, offered to us and they've said, you can have 20 minutes. I, I need two hours. Yeah. I don't need any more. But you've, it's got to be in at least an hour and a half. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and we we start filming straight as soon as they walk in. We start filming and then we we, we piece it together. For about I mean we, we, the moment it's running at thirty, but it could run at forty five. And then you just show people these clips through their career. So Carly, do you remember the Sullivan's that uh, Aussie? Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. So she she was um, Vera or someone, a, a kind of a Dutch resistance girl, shot outside Adelaide. Yeah, um, <laughs> and that was her first role. And so she was, and she hadn't seen that for forty years. Wow. And it's those moments where you see people look up and go. You tell someone's life through the it's really interesting. And really, I mean, a script the interview, but it's springboards. You know, you just where's this going to take us?
0: Well, the Noel one, especially, was like two mates just sat down in the cinema yeah. having a, a really good natter. Yeah, he
1: was really interesting because mm. he's just so truthful. Anyway, He mm. can't not be. Can no, you? he's just got it in him. You've um, interviewed him. A f- have you? Been yeah, but not him like times? that. That was the first time. I, in my, I've just done. I've done. I've had him in session a few times, but that was the first time I properly sat down and had a good chat with him.
0: Um, it's a different ball game, isn't yeah, it? yeah, totally, and yeah. I love
1: that. Have you, do you have you have you liked everyone you've interviewed?
0: None, yeah, yeah. Have I liked them as people? Yeah. Uh, well, there's loads of people I don't know. Yeah, yeah but, but you get to know someone. In two hours. But you get to, you get to know someone. Uh, yeah, afterwards, I've gone. Yeah, I've just recorded one with somebody who I literally met on the street. I'd finished recording last year with somebody, and then he saw a friend of hers and he went, You should come on. And he went, You should have her on. She's really good. Who is it? You know what I'd say? No, no, I'd say. Bleep it. I'll bleep it. <laughs> she's a, a, a brilliant actress. She was, she's from Cardiff. And she's, what's she in? She, is, she, was at the, Harry, she was in Harry Potter. She played Hermione in Harry Potter. And now she's at the Royal Court. The, se- the
1: second lot? Yes. Who was the first lot in Hermione, Harry Potter? Uh, what's her name? Um, Noma. Noma. It's coming on this too. Oh, she's brilliant. I know. So I, I followed Noma. Um, I mean, not not on Twitter. Okay. Physically, yeah. <laughs> I was here, literally yeah. here outside. Yeah. And me and my wife D had been to see it, Harry Potter, a week before, and I saw her outside the theatre. Do you know? Sometimes you forget you're on telly. Do you, do you ever forget? Do you ever forget that people might recognise you? Yeah, I do that all the time. So all I'm thinking is, and there's, there is this kind of weird absurdity that if you're on telly that all, all people are on telly get on and they, they should know each other. There's that weird thing where you meet someone else like who, for want of a better word, is famous. And you're like, hey, Sorry. how are you? And that's literally the only connection you've got. Yeah, I've seen that happen so many weird. times. But it is kind of, but at the same time it's kind of nice because hey, you meet people and you're you famous, go... famous, I'm famous, we should know each other. <laughs> it's so weird. The presumption that you should know each other. And yet I've met some lovely people by mm. that kind of serendipitous moment Anyway... I was outside and I saw Noma and um, we'd seen Harry Potter a week before and I thought, I've got to say something because she was so good in it. She's brilliant. And and then she walked off and I thought, bollocks, I'm going to follow her. And <laughs> <laughs> did that come <laughs> oh, from? I, I thought, I can't not. She was too good. And so then, I started, and then she was quite a fast walker so she's sort of walking through it and I'm thinking, God, I can't keep up with her. And i almost start running. I ended up catching up with her down Charing Cross Road or something, and I went, that's what I wanna say. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm thinking, is she just gonna think I'm a weirdo? But then Tom she's turns around and goes, Oh, you don't have the telly. She went tweety Oh thank God. Um, yeah, she's wonderful. And then I saw her at um seen her and a few things, but I saw her at Wilderness. She did Letters Live, which I want oh, to do, but I have not done yet.
0: And um, That's so brilliant. Isn't it great? Matt Berry's done a couple of those. He really enjoys doing mm. them.
1: He's good, isn't he? Yeah. I've just finished watching Year of the Rabbit, which I loved. It's good, isn't it? Are you in that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i have
0: in, like, episode five. I take him hostage.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I would be big beard. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what else I loved you in? Is the, even though you're, off, you're, or, you're horrible in it. That's right, it. we'll cut this back. You're out. horrible in it. Yeah, go on. Um, resistance. Yeah,
0: I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But I was in a restaurant um, a few weeks ago. And me and my friend were talking to this American guy next to us at, at the counter. And um, I don't know how we got into the subject of television and films and stuff, because we weren't talking about my career or what I did for a living. And he went, I'm really enjoying this show at the moment. And, he went, oh. and I turned to my friend and went, i believe <laughs> it She went, no way. I said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have, do you enjoy, do you like people that you interview do you ever get to
1: a point afterwards and you go No, rarely my default is is that I'm I like I like people Mm. so do you get to choose who comes on do you
0: get to choose your guests
1: yeah my producer Ben will normally send me a list and we'll go shall we I mean to be honest with you we've worked so long together now me and Ben that we kind of second guess each other yeah it'll be more like he'll get in touch with me if he thinks I might not like someone which I'm sure very rarely Well, not happens. so much like someone, more, we're going to get someone from this show. Do you think you'll have anything to talk to them about? Um, but I think you find commonality. I don't think that's ever happened, to be honest with you.
0: No, because I'm, I'm always slightly worried when it's someone I've never met or we've just been having me an email you. conversation. Well, me and you now, we've never met. I feel like
1: vicariously, because I know Vicky and I know Martin, so I feel like vicariously I know you. yeah. I could tell you were, like, a wrong one. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I mean, you can tell, you know, I know, I sort of in my... And I listened to this podcast mm. religiously. So I, uh, I could tell what kind of person you were going to be. You know what I mean? Could, I think you've got a gauge sometimes. Well, it goes back
0: to what we were talking about at the beginning, I think. I remember thinking, well, I don't really know how to do this, but I do. hopefully I do know how to talk to people, and I just want to be as honest as I can. Yeah. Because, as I was saying before... I think people can spot, a f- like they can spot a fake when you're acting, they can yeah. spot a fake if you're pulling the hundred over, over their ears, so to speak. Yeah. No. So I'm always quite careful to choose people who I think will have something to say. Yeah, a truth. Well, Do you yeah. know what? I love,
1: the Morven. The than- Morvan Christie? She, that was a great interview. Yeah. She's so good. So good. And I love The Bay... Me and my wife spend most of our time watching drama. My wife works in drama. She's a director. Oh, does she? Yeah, so she worked on The Crown. She's working on Bridgerton at the moment. She's right. doing second unit on Bridgerton. A new Netflix show with Nicola Cockton. Nicola Cochran's in name. Terrific. I forget
0: her name, but she's got the most fantastically named character in that.
1: Oh, yeah, it's all I like... I can't remember. Yeah, I know, me neither. It's but so broad. brilliant. yeah,
0: So good. Um, and um... well, I saw Morvan last week, I was back in Manchester and the lifts open and then she oh, walked out. Nice. But I think she would have come back on because we had... A lot more to say. Sometimes with though with guests you go Yeah. I think we should have more time. Yeah. But I'm really careful having done almost a three hour episode, which is quite hard for people to people to listen to. You know, I kinda mm-hmm. wanna get it in a certain amount of sure. time. So it's palatable.
1: Most of yours go in at what? Twenty fifty minutes, fifty?
0: Or more. we'd try and do the hour. Yeah. There's been some that's been the past few have been like hour and twenty five, but I, it's like you know when you're learning how to close an interview and you mm. want to sort of make it. You don't want to be. I don't want to be abrupt. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to find a nice sweet spot that we can. We'll put a button on that, yeah. and that's really nice. Even Do you know sometimes sometimes, you can, well,
1: sometimes when you're interviewing someone, sometimes you come out early because you just go, I can't get any better than this. So a few years ago, one of the best shows I ever did was a show called Live from Space that Channel Four got. Um, Company called Arrow Media made, and they got in touch and said, "Look, and normally when you get offered a show, it's like like that. I got offered it because I'm a live broadcaster, and that's what, and I've, and I've got a sense of curiosity. I love history and exploration, mm. and so the idea was we go to NASA and we lap the planet with the International Space Station, and so you are talking to the astronauts in real time." And you're going, and they've got cameras, and they're in this place, in part of the ISS called the Coppola, which is where you it's like it's like their viewing platform. Yeah. So they just see the Earth, and they're just there with it. And so I'm just so Koichi is one of the is was the Japanese American Japanese guy who was the commander of the International Space Station. And you're going, Koichi, can you zoom in on the Andes for us? <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. It's unbelievable. It's so the best wow. things I've ever done. And the guy I was with, the co um, my co sort of co host or expert was a guy called Mike Masamino. Word to the wise: The Italians have NASA wrapped up. I mean, it's literally—it's it's like from God on high slash the mafia own NASA because, <laughs> <laughs> quote unquote, not a guarantee. Uh, because they're all like, loads of the European astronauts are all Italian. So we've got Tim Peake. They've had about twenty up there. Yeah, um, and loads of the Italian Americans go into NASA as well. So Mike Massamino's a lovely guy, big. Well, they call him Mass. Partly because his surname, but big because he's so big. Yeah, shouldn't really be an astronaut. he's so enormous. And he was a, a veteran of two um, space shuttle missions. The second of which was to fix the Hubble Telescope, which he almost broke. Really? Yeah. Really interesting. It was a r- fascinating guy. So anyway, he he writes a book after this. The brilliant show, I loved doing it. He comes over to London. We have breakfast, and he said, "I'm, I'm doing this book tour in about a month's time." I said, so, "Well, I'll host it for you and come in and I'll interview you." And we we. So, just, you know, his publisher, I did it as, a, you know, just amazed. So just helped him out, really enjoyed doing it and read his book. And then we did, we put it on this theatre down in Victoria, 800 people there. And he's telling me the story of his last ever spacewalk. And I've got, like, a, probably about five or six other questions, another 15 minutes. And he tells the story. He's doing his, he's doing his spacewalk. He thinks it's probably going to be his last spacewalk, but, but he doesn't know. He could, could come up on another mission or whatnot. But... He's, um, he's sort of finished his work, sort of buddy system. So his friend's doing something on the other, the other side of the shuttle and he's there tinkering away and he's putting his tools away and, and uh, he just hears Capcom down in Houston saying, Mass, what are you up to? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm just putting some stuff away. And, he said, and they said, why don't you do yourself a favour? You've got 20 minutes, why don't you just hang out there for a while? And he says, and so he tells the story of it. He's just floats into space, orbiting the, orbiting the Earth, 350 miles above the Earth. And, he's, and, and he said... And it's not like a died in the wool uh, God bless America type. Yeah. Like it's very All these NASA guys are incredibly forward-thinking. They're mm. all progressive. They all want to work with the Russians. But he's, he said but he loves his country. and he said he hit America. And he, saw, he saw America come around and he said, I saw the West Coast and then saw the Rockies and the Great Plains and then the Eastern Seaboard. And just as the Eastern Seaboard saw the Eastern Seaboard, I, I felt... Um, I felt the orbit coming around and the darkness coming. Yeah. He said, you don't feel dark, you don't feel cold, you just feel a pinch. He said, I just thought it coming. And then I realised that was the last time I was ever going to do a spacewalk. It the last time I'd ever see Earth like this. And I realised it was time to go home. And he started crying. And I'm, and I'm like, wrap this fucking interview now. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. It's not going to get better than this. Yeah. Wow. We looked up, I'm in tears. The whole audience is in tears. Those are great moments. Those yeah. are, that's why I love doing the job. You can just feel it, though, yeah. sometimes. And you just, and you, remember, you know, there's no, um, it's not contrived. There's no, you, you, you get in, you completely go on, you get on board with it yourself, mm. you know. I was in bits after that.
0: I bet you were. Brilliant. But sometimes when, again, going back to other people and certain people, they've just got the list of questions and they just want to kind of get through it. Yeah. And you know they're not really
1: engaging. I think it's really important. Like, when I, if I ever do these, like, workshops and meet young broadcasters and stuff, I will say, look, fine to write an interview, but just use all those, don't worry about exact questions. Don't worry about Just use them as conversational springboards. Mm. And sometimes you get caught up, because sometimes people don't want to talk, and sometimes musicians in particular are are, 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 hard beasts, because at age 15, they couldn't communicate, which is why they were sat in their room, which is why they were strumming away, because that's how they communicate. Yeah. Uh, And also,
0: whenever they do the promo stuff on the radio, they're mainly there to... uh, Play two or three live tracks and have a very brief conversation yeah. about when the album's out, and that's it. Yeah, that's why I was, I was going back to, going back to me again. When I was, <laughs> when I was uh, got Gaz Coombs in here because I never met Gaz before. He's wonderful, and I, I had that in my head going musicians and talkers. Yeah, no, good. he's a good
1: chatter though. Yeah,
0: like an hour later. Yeah, happy he's brilliant. Days. And also, I think, I,
1: I mean, I've, i I. I sometimes struggle with that because I don't like to talk to musicians about music particularly. I'm just not that interested. Well, it's like in I don't the, want to talk to actors about accent. the process exactly. I want—I talk about inspiration and mm. I talk about where the love comes from and where the where what the songs mean. That's mm. fine, but the
0: actual—you uh, decide
1: to do, we'll take it up a notch there. or use that producer. I just don't. It's never been my thing. It's hard to connect with that if it's not exactly it's not in you. So. I always want to talk to me. I want to humanise musicians. So yeah. I always want to th- same with actors. You want to talk to them about what else they do in their life. Exactly. And actors aren't bad at that. Some actors aren't bad at that. Most musicians are terrible at it. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, that's always the, um, certainly when they, not, not so much as they get older, but when they first starting out, they're sort of like looking at you going, what are you talking to me about Stockport County for? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever interviewed Groff Reese from Superfairy Animals? Uh, no. Have you ever heard him? Yes, dude. I would not like to be on the receiving (laughs) end there. And nothing against him because he's a very considered talker Mm -hmm. and he really takes his time. We talk about Don't Be Afraid of the Pause. Yeah. There are a lot of pauses in there that, as a listener, sometimes
1: I feel a little bit uncomfortable. Morrissey was the hardest interview I've ever done. No way. Tell me about that. Big deal for me because it's Morrissey and love the Smiths.
0: This is probably. you You would have already been. Slightly
1: wary that you knew it was going to be guarded. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And he does that thing where he interviews the interviewer. Yes, he does. And he was... He picked up... At a, like, I used to have shares in a fish restaurant. I say shares, that makes it sound really official. I went in with a few mates from a fish restaurant in Brighton. Because I used to work in restaurants, that was my old. And I was sort of starting out and growing up. And so I always loved that trade.
0: Did that go back from your, your mum sort of teaching you how to cook?
1: Oh, my mum's not a great cook, so I mean But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it does actually. Yeah. Um and then all my work experience was in sort of bar, bar and kitchen work. I loved it. Really loved it. And um uh, so Morrissey kept saying picked up this thing and I used to have a fish restaurant, so he kept going, Is your octopus restaurant still open? Are you still killing octopus for really a living? Patronising <laughs> fucker. Like, like what? <laughs> and then um and it was a real, it was just, it was like one of those. Every time I played a song, we'd actually get on really well. And then as soon as I opened the microphone, i go, So anyway, your mother and father, are they back in Ireland now? Um, and he, we finished. And uh, my mate Kevin McCabe, who's a really legendary music plugger, so worked at Radiohead and Gaz, and really lovely guy, he um, took him down in a lift. And he came up and, and he went because I wasn't sure if it's good or bad the interview. And he said, uh, he said we got in the lift. And Morrissey turned to him and went, I thought he jousted rather well. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: of course, that's
1: what he would come out with. He's
0: right, though, isn't it? Because Marvellous. he would, he would, he would see that as going to war, wouldn't he? And I was talking to when I was talking to Mark Strong a few weeks ago. He was saying when I. And with a, a journalist, I'm as try- relaxed as possible and as open as possible to him. And then we get it done a little bit quicker. <laughs> Instead of, you know, we're, we're, we're fighting constantly. Yeah.
1: Morrissey was, he, I then bumped into him on our honeymoon in Rome about five years later. And it was, and we sat down. It's really odd world's colliding moment where yeah. we sat down in a, I think it's a hotel called the Fasano where we got to Rome. Me and Dee, and we were sat in the we got there about five o'clock, and obviously nothing happens in Italy until about ten o'clock at night. So we are having a drink in the courtyard. And I looked up at one table and I thought to myself, is that David Moyes? (laughs) It was David Moyes on holiday with like three his wife and another couple. And going back to that weird famous thing, so I sort of like smiled David Moyes. (laughs) (laughs) He smiled back. It's a really sweet man. And then uh we sort of had sort like had a little two-minute conversation. I went sit down. As I sat down, I looked up and I said to Dee, just don't look now, but when you can, look behind you. Is that Morrissey? And she turned around and she went, yeah, yeah, I think it is. And then, so I thought, oh, God, OK. And there was about an hour later, I went to the loo and I walked past him and I said, hello. I said, Morrissey, it's good to see you again. And he went, really? <laughs> he said... I imagine you say the same thing to Gary Barlow or <laughs> Barry Manilow. I went, oh, hell. that's amazing. I went, I went, no, I mean, well, yeah, it might Maybe. It is really nice to see you. And how are you? And he went, well, what brings you to Rome? And I said, I'm, I'm on my honeymoon. And he went, oh. And this is amazing, because this is so Boris. He went, oh, it won't last. These things never do. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> oh, fucking And wow. I'm like... Do you mean the honeymoon or the marriage? <laughs> the honeymoon won't last. I'm hoping the marriage will. <laughs> You're talking about the marriage, are not you? <laughs> oh, and yet, God. it still made me love him because it was, even his kind of awful put downs are still beautifully poetic. Yeah. He's such a showman and he's always on. He seems to be always on. You know, he's always asked, Will the Smith ever reform? And then, when I remember being Nick Glastonbury a few years ago and I walked past, I'm going to go see Johnny Marr and I just caught the end of the set and I walked in, he was playing House Seniors Now and I looked up and I thought, yeah, you don't, probably don't need to reform the Smith because you're doing a really good job of doing that. He's doing is he? a really good job.
0: I've heard a version yeah. of that; it's brilliant. Absolutely and, brilliant. You know, it's just—it's a real shame. So why now? Why now start a podcast? Because so, you're always so busy doing loads of other stuff. Because
1: I miss interviewing people. Really, I miss. Um, I miss that third that middle hour on that radio show. Mm. I I miss having a proper conversation with someone terribly and I really, I sort of worked out what I love in this game is meeting people, which is one of the reasons why I'm still doing The X Factor because I still don't know who's coming around the corner. And, you know, you can take as much or as little out of that show as you want as a a viewer, but for me it's great doing a Saturday night entertainment show that people who have worked a hard week come in and they, can, and they can switch off and enjoy.
0: And also that's what you're having your codro and chips in front of. Oh, exactly. you're, sorry, your mum's picnic We exactly. you having that. Exactly.
1: Um, and so I love doing live TV. I love that sense of excitement and event. And I love um, interviewing people. And I didn't think, I would never thought I was going to do one because we had that hour in the middle of the show. And I thought, yeah. well... You know, and now actually, now the BBC Sounds thing is, is kind of in full whack. They'd probably they'd probably turn that into a podcast. But, um, uh, I when I had the opportunity, I just thought, well, let's do it. And we just so I started looking into it ages ago, and I'm really glad we're doing it now. But it's called people, just people, and the idea is that that um, we we interview people, the most interesting people I can find, and I want to try and make it. If we, let's say if we do six, I want to try and make it. Um, one actor, one um, sports star, so any Aluko. We did sort of, sort of and, and people sort of who have taken a road less less well travelled. I suppose you know, yeah. um, not necessarily famous people. So we had two girls from Bletchley yesterday, 90, no, two ninety-three-year-old co breakers. No way, That's brilliant, brilliant. That goes out next week, I think. But yeah, so I just want to get interesting people, and it all people, just people comes from a Howard sale warm up from Frank Sinatra. In uh, on October 13th, 1974, and Howard Cosell, this legendary old sports MC and, and journalist, who was this guy who was the only guy who stuck up for Muhammad Ali when um, when Muhammad Ali had his boxing licence taken away from him. Cosell was the only guy who stood... John Voight plays him in the in the Michael Mann film. Right. Uh, uh, with Will Smith playing Ali. And Howard Cosell did this warm-up for Frank Sinatra. And then back in the day when I used to make, like, lunch, we had... Me, Jamie Glazebrook, a few of the other boys, We had the off- if we had the office to ourselves in the evening, we'd put this on because the warm-up was so funny. Yeah. And Howard uh, Curso came out and to, to the kind of orchestral music, um, you know, composed by Nelson Riddle and all these great old-school Don Costa and all these kind of like, mm. you know, Frank Sinatra's kind of uh, contemporaries and uh, his collaborators – They'd have like this kind of orchestral version of Lady is a Tramp and, da, 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 da. and so Howard Cosell, you, you can, you should listen to it. You put, try and put a link on for it. Yeah. It's wonderful. This kind of drums in the night. And then you hear the scream and, uh, Howard Cosell goes October 13th. really kind of October 13th, 1974, Madison Square Garden. Jam-packed with, you know, uh, welcome to New York, the city that pulsates with all the <laughs> wonderful people that live here, work here, play here. Uh, the, uh, the world center of, it's so, so, so tangential, it's the world center for uh, shipping, transportation. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? Finance and above all entertainment. And they're here in the heart of the beating city, this uh, venue that still endures tonight, welcomes uh, back, you know, the heavyweight champion of the world, uh, Frank Sinatra, 20,000 people plus. People. Just people. And so that, and they, that was the line they took. People, just people. Speaking of interesting people. I'm just going to walk over here because, because sometimes when you chance upon
0: um, a person, I was listening to Desert Island Deaths the other week. This firefighter was on. No. Right? Have you listened to it? No. Right. I'm going to, I will put a link out. It is, another, obviously I'm a sucker. So I was listening to it walking around Manchester, went straight to Waterstones, yeah. found it, started reading it. Her, I'm not going to tell you a story, but you have to listen to it. I her. will. It to will make you lady. reassess core values. Wow. It's brilliant. She's so inspiring. And just talking about you saying, well, we don't just have like people, well known people or people, yeah. or people would know. Case in point there with that design and Disc, I was in bits and I haven't been
1: that connected to hey, one she, for ages. Is she, she just a regular firefighter? or uh,
0: She's not now. She's one of the only women who is deputy assistant uh, oh, yeah. uh, commissioner. But it's all about her background and her, her starting. Great. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say too much. Anyway, she's a You starting. big reader? Sorry? you're a big I try to as much as I can. I never used to be at all. So it's hard with a little fella, is it? It is really hard, and also sometimes I, f- I find it hard on a set as well because you well, start... Because you want to get into
1: something you You want to you get into it, it and then you go,
0: ah, oh, I'm up and down. Yeah. So I, you have to be quite strategic with what kind of reading material you take with you, yeah. but I do like... Also, I stuff.
1: suppose you're reading all the time because le- you've got to learn those lines, and that's, that's kind of hard.
0: Yeah, but once they're in and you know you're playing about with something that you're going to be working on for three or four hours, it's quite nice to have the distractions. Do I not suppose. forget your
1: lines because you're reading something else?
0: No, because they're locked in some other part of my brain. Right. still can't really work <laughs> it out. But as soon as you've finished, they've gone, next day couldn't tell you what was going on.
1: Yeah, that's the problem with live telly, is you become an expert about something really quickly, and then you forget that stuff so quickly because you have to then, that part of your brain just you, is used to, Get, follow some up, get some there. more information.
0: <laughs> stick some more in, but I've got to chuck that, that out. True. So when you were saying you and Ivo were writing, mm. did you mean that with the sort of auto cue for certain things? Oh
1: yeah, that's all scripted stuff. And then when I started, so I, I started doing kids' books. Uh, not as a conscious decision I wanted to do a kids' book. I just had, so I've got two blind cats, I've got a blind cat who is Italian and she's a, uh, but she just breaks in light. So me and, called her our little ninja, and then we we sort of about three or four years ago, I, I just happened upon this idea that she would essentially be sleeping and doing the stuff during the day, and then fighting crime at night. Yeah. And then I, I sort of pitched it to the publisher I'd done a book with before, and they went, "Go ahead, work, work on a chapter plan." and went back and and they uh, said, "Great, let's, let's do two books." And I remember I remember going, "It's fantastic!" And I shook all the hands and I shut the door and <laughs> came out and went. I've only got one idea. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, oh, so you wanted two books, right. <laughs> I just sit in the room, I'm like, of course. But then the idea started to come to me. So I've been writing, I've just finished my third. Um, so it's called Toto the Ninja Cat and dot, dot, dot. Mm. And she's a member of a secret ancient order of ninjas. And the idea is every world leader has a cat to, they think, just to look after you know, liaison and, furniture and keep the mice at bay, but actually they're all a with every world leader to make sure they don't do anything stupid mm. through the mantra of purrs, paws and claws. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's been really fun doing them. So I just finished the third. But and that's
0: something completely Totally, different. totally. But I've got a
1: couple of ideas now. I want to write, I really enjoy writing. You know, Is that I, something that you got into? Well, I always wrote when I was a kid. I used to, my poor dad, I used to sort of nick his paper and then write detective fiction three-page detective fiction and then sell it for 5p around our estate. Can I? <laughs> I knock on the door <laughs> and buy my detective book for 5p. <laughs> I but I'd always, it was very much indicative of what my homework was like at the time because I'd, I'd, I'd write the first page really intricately and I sort of, the second, but the end of it, I'd go, and then you caught the baddies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually pretty much a mantra for the early part of my life. Yeah. Uh, or, or that's indicative of the early part of my life. I was so easily distracted at school. I love oh. school. School was brilliant. But two people in the corner, what are they up to over there? Yeah. Which, no. I could be doing this maths, but I could find out what you're up to over there. Which is much more interesting, I bet. So I'm <laughs> yeah, going to do exactly.
0: that. I was at the time. How do you find the time to to do all of this? If you're writing a book, you've got the radio to prepare, or does that kind of look after itself now? No. um, Yes and
1: no. Does it get busier when X Factor comes along? Yeah. You must do. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. Is there things that you have to shelve then? Can you yeah. Stu- life. Can- I mean, by life, I mean just... Not seeing your friends, because I'm quite an exercise and all that. I think all that stuff's important, but... The boring side of life, I just put on hold for a while, like Mm. admin, and then I'll just go and, like, nail. So I've always got emails I've not got back to for a while. But that's the flip side of... So there's that thing where you go, that's why I didn't take a desk job. (laughs) Exactly. I I don't want to be chained to a, a computer doing... But yeah, I, but, yeah, it feels quite therapeutic when you get rid of it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it You really pay your does. bills and you sort your laundry yeah. out and all that. So all that kind of stuff, I suppose, takes a back seat. But it's just time management, and, and that takes a long time to get your head around and mm. used to. But, it, but when you get it, it's are fine. You, are you good, like, if you go on holiday, are you good at not doing things? I'm a lot better than I used to be. I used to get there and go for two days, and i go, what are we going to do now? I'm getting restless. When, when now I'm like, I am fine. Because you're probably knackered. in this. And it's it's so important to stop, Yeah, it? We fell in love with, a, with, um, uh, Salento right in the heel of Italy about mm. 10 years ago. We bought a place down there and I never thought I'd be, well, I mean, I never thought I'd have the opportunity to, but now, but given the opportunity, I never thought I'd be a the person, sort of person that would go back to the same place every year. And there's a lot of travel through work, so you see in the world in that regard. But actually, there's a really nice constant of going, we've got mates down there, some Italian, some English, British, and we'll, and I went down this summer and I went to every place I went to had not been to before. So you can just get to know an area. It's right in the hill in Italy. So it's pretty rural, um, very Italian um, part of the world. Beautiful down there.
0: I want to end by stealing something, from you, which is funny because I was going to start with this. Because you always end your podcast in a very specific way, don't <sighs> you? And I, I want to know if you could spend an hour with somebody. Who would you want to spend an hour with? And we can go, it can be alive, yeah. Scared, famous, or not, not famous?
1: No. It, God, that's a really good question that I've weirdly, oddly... Never thought about. See, I thought you would have thought about yeah. it. I thought, I'm going to say, answer this, Craig, straight away. It'd probably be. See, I grew up reading those, the Irish classics, mm. but I'd be too. I think I get I get too bogged down to spend a spend an hour with Joyce or Beckett because I mean I've got too many questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, I sort of grew up reading a lot of Brendan Behan as well, which is this, you know, he was such an interesting... He was like, I suppose, the Irish Thomas, I guess, to a degree, even yeah. though he, you know, he was more of a playwright than a poet. But Adrian Dunbar is a very yeah. well-read Brendan Behan. From, yeah, you know. I used to love Behan. Um, so maybe one of those. But I think
0: it had changed from day to day. Yes. Well, right now, do you know when people always ask that ancient old, oh, it's going be top fav- favourite films? It's like, well, where I am in myself today, 100%. I want to watch this or I want to listen to this yeah. or I need to squirrel myself away and, yeah. or I want to come out all guns blazing. So I'm sure that would change. Do you know, overall guest. then,
1: I'd say, I love history, I love exploration. And I know he's been romanticised to the hilt, but the endurance expedition that Shackleton took mm. where it's something about, there's something about heroic failure I love. And he just didn't have that. He was, he was kind of Anglo Irish, but he was very Irish in the sense of he's kind of, he, he maintained discipline, but chucked convention completely out the window. So he worked out how he, as soon as the mission started, it went tits up, the ship got crushed in ice. So he had to get his men off the ice and then they had to survive on, on free-flowing ice, they had to drag their lifeboats across um, Antarctica. Then they, then they set sail. Then, then he had to leave. For five days, they got to Elephant Island. They had to leave his men at Elephant Island. Then he took five guys with him. He didn't even take the fittest guys. He took two of the guys. Two of them, he thought, you're trouble. I can't leave you there, so I'm, you're going to come with me. Went to Crossed 500 miles of the South Atlantic Ocean, um, in terrible conditions to get to uh, South Georgia, then navigated South South Georgia, which had never been done before. Mm. So he could have just fell down a crevice or a mountain or something. Somehow made it back almost two years to the day to this whaling station and not a man, uh, he, he didn't leave a man behind. So every single person on that side of the expedition, sadly there was a kind of a relief expedition on the other side, um, and they, a couple of them died, but under Shackleton's direct command, no one died, yeah. and he did this through just man management and motivation and optimism and humanity. And so I've, he's always been a big hero of mine. Yeah. So it would probably be Shackleton. Or there's another guy called Tom Crean who's with him, who Shackleton. He was a big Kerry man. And Shackleton says he was as close to indestructible as one man could be. <laughs> 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 And one of the McGanns yeah. played him. Remember that great Branner uh, Shackleton? Mm, thing I was about to say that. Yeah. 4 that. yeah. child one. Brilliant, I thought. And, yeah. And one of the McGanns sort of uh, yeah. played it. Uh, one of the big old McGanns. I love the McGanns. Who doesn't love the McGann? They're, they're a mighty family, aren't they? <laughs> I love this. Thank you so much. Did you enjoy
0: it? Oh, man. It's been the best. Oh, I'm so thrilled, mate. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. And another episode is done. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? What an absolutely sound, sound guy, Dermot is. It was lovely spending time with him. And uh, we didn't want to stop talking, did we? We could have gone on for ages. Thank you so much to Dermot for coming on. He's been such a massive supporter of the podcast since day one, so it was a real thrill to get him on and uh, and have a good old night, which is what we do. And also a massive, massive thank you to you for downloading and subscribing. You know how much it means. Drop us a message. We're on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's at Two Shot pod if you want to drop us an email you can do that it's two shot pod at gmail.com don't feel the need you have to though but uh it's always nice to hear from you and we always try and respond to you that's what makes it all go around so um oh here's another thing on the 10th of november i am going to be at the fairfield social club in manchester with dave haslam and tim burgess and mark collins uh if you've got a ticket i shall see you there if not do come along and say hello and until next week, that's pretty much it. So you know what's coming next week. It's JB Barrington and Art Malik live from the huge, the massive York Theatre Royal, which we were there last Friday. The lovely, lovely crowd of you were there. Oh, just before I go, make sure you Google Derma O'Leary's new podcast. It's called People, Just People. Give it a listen. Support Derma because he is sound. So until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff, and this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Please take care of yourself, stay sound, and we'll see you next week. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.